Good morning, church. How are y'all doing? Thank you, Josh. Good morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Take something out that you can take notes with this morning. And open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I want to pray for us as we get into the Word of God. As you're turning there, you're allowed to keep your eyes open and turn to a page in the Bible while I pray. But you're not allowed to do anything else. So... Jesus, we do love you, and we thank you for being with us this morning. And as we open up your word, we do ask you to speak to us, and we open up our hearts and our minds and our lives to you, that you would speak to us and uh, shape us and encourage us, challenge us, invite us, Lord, into the life abundantly that you came to give. So that's what we expect this morning. That's why we open ourselves to you. Anyway, that we aren't hungry, uh, we give you permission right now to come make us hungry, so we would receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. If you've got your notes out, uh, we started a series last week called The Church is a Problem. The Church is a Problem. So you can go ahead and put that at the top of your notes for this morning. Got a really fancy subtitle for you, part 2. Part 2. We'll figure we go to Colossians 2, chapter 2, so we'll just do part 2 of this series together. The Church is a Problem. Was anybody here? Last week, or listen to anybody caught up? Okay, that's great, that's great. The church is a problem. Colossians chapter 2 this morning. If you're there, say, I'm there. Wow, most of you are there. What a way to go, way to go. I'm going to let you sit down this morning for the reading of the Word of God, because it's probably going to take me a while to get through it. So we'll see if I get to the message, you know. It's just going to, it's just good. I'm warning you, there is so much good stuff in this book. Woo! Watch out, Jordan. There's a lot in here, man. Oh, I didn't reorganize my notes. Oh, perfect. Look at that. Verse 6 is where we're going to start. Colossians 2, verse 6. The Bible says, therefore, okay, we got to stop. We got to stop. I heard, a, I heard a southern draw preacher say one time, when you see a therefore, you got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? So that's Bible study 101, if that's new for you. So therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? I, I appreciate the word therefore, because what, uh, the, what God's trying to do in his word and what I believe is important for us this morning, before he goes into something new, he calls us to remember what's already been talked about, right? So this, uh, what we're reading, is a, originally a letter that didn't even have the chapters in it. It was just one cohesive thought. And in a similar way, these messages that we're doing, they're not just three or four messages all by themselves. It's all kind of one cohesive thought thing together. So if we're going to understand the next thing God's about to say, and the next thing we're going to talk about, we have to remember what we've already talked about, okay? So he says, therefore, therefore, so for us, therefore, because the church is a problem, remember, church, you're a problem, remember, so therefore, because you're a problem, that's how he's setting the table for us. You have a king, therefore, you have a hope, therefore, you have an assignment, therefore, okay, so what we've talked about so far, context for where we're going. Are we good? We all caught up? Way to go. Who knew there was so much in such a little word? Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Y'all hear some of those words? I could use some of that. Rooted. I'll take it. Built up. I want that. Established. 
Am I? <laughs> abounding. Are you abounding in your life right now? <laughs> in thanksgiving, that is. Abounding maybe in other things. Sometimes I abound in complaining. <laughs> abounding in thanksgiving. I love it. As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. Okay, before we go on any further, we got to do one more thing here. So we got to therefore, which is remember what we've already talked about. But then we get this little phrase here. As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in him. We're called to remember another thing this morning before we go any further, before we understand and before we can understand what God's about to speak to us through his word. He's saying, if you want to know what's coming next, remember what we talked about just a second ago. But also, I need you to remember how you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Remember how you received him. Do you remember how you received Jesus? Do you remember how, how that happened, where you were at? I was thinking about that a lot this week because uh, I saw it as you received Christ Jesus saying, okay, so remember how you received the Lord. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, wow, I, I need to remember how I received Christ Jesus the Lord. And so I don't know if you remember how you received Christ Jesus the Lord, but um, I'll, I'll remind you of a few things at least. <laughs> uh, well, so it started when you realized you were dead in your sins. You realized you were dead in your sins. I don't know what the maybe context exactly was. For me, my outside life looked really good, but my inside life was a mess. And I remember waking up one morning and being like, man, I am dead on the inside. And so that happened for you too. If you've received Christ, you woke up or you, you had something happen. Maybe it looked like whatever it looked like, but you realize I am dead in my sin. And there is nothing that I can do to get me into the life that I'm called to live. There is nothing I can do to dig myself out of this. That's what you realize. But you also realize that there was no politician who was going to do it for you. Your mom wasn't going to come do it for you. Your boyfriend wasn't going to come do it for you. Your future spouse wasn't going to come do it for you. There wasn't some amount of money that was going to do it for you. There wasn't some position that was going to do it for you. There wasn't some perfect environment that was already going to come and just happen to fall into your lap to dig you out of the place. You were stuck. That's what happened. You realize I'm dead. I can't do anything about it. No one and no thing can do anything about it. And you heard about this man, Jesus, the son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he had this promise out there for you that if you will give me your life, you can be born again. So that's crazy. And you thought I could use some of that because the first... This born time's not working for me, and I can't handle this. I need to get born again. I can't make anything go away, but this man Jesus is promising me that in him, the old that I can't get rid of will pass away, and the new that I can't get to will come. And so you realize, wow, I, I've got to make a decision about this man Jesus, about the fact that I'm dead, I'm stuck, but he's offering this for me. And so you came to Jesus and you gave him the old. You gave him the life that you had. You gave him the sin that you had. You gave him the stuck. You gave him the, the thing that you couldn't do anything with. You gave it to him and in exchange, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's how you received 
Christ Jesus the Lord. And so God's saying to us, if we want to understand where we're going this morning, if we want to understand what God's trying to speak into this church and into you and into the body of Christ, we've got to start understanding what has he already said to us, church, you're a problem. And remember how you received Christ. And as you remember how you received him in such a place of needing him and only him, so walk in him. Don't try taking it all back now. Don't try fixing yourself all now. You've already tried that. That's why you came to him and received him in the first place. So in the same way that you received him, so walk in him, church. So walk in him. Walk in him, not hoping in somebody else because you're only hoping in him. That's how you received him. Walk in him. I want you to underline that in your Bible. So walk in him. And the promise is some good words. Rooted. Built up established, abounding. Okay, now for the message. Now for what I want to actually preach to you about this morning, let's keep reading. Verse 8, see to it, okay, here we go. <laughs> I told you it's going to take us a while to get through this. See to it, I like this, see to it. So the Bible's making it clear, you got a job. This, this one's on you. This part's for you. Got it? Okay, so the Bible's talking to you. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. See to it that no one takes you. Okay, you. Somebody say, that's me. Okay, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Honestly, I kind of got to skip that verse. There's a lot going on there. I don't even, that's a big one. <laughs> and you have been filled, oh, and you, somebody say, that's me. And you have been filled in him who is the head of, here's this word again. We saw this last week a lot. All rule and authority. In him also you, somebody say, that's me. We're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Shout out Kingdom Conference. If you haven't been baptized, November 4th, Wednesday night. It's going down. We're baptizing people. Might as well be you too. In which you, somebody say, that's me. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Give me that. Who raised him from the dead. And you, somebody say, that's me. Who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. Having forgive, forgiven us. Say, that's us. Forgiven us. All our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. I just found aggressive Jesus. Somebody say, my Jesus is a problem. I like those verses. I don't know where cute, cuddly, white robe, purple sash Jesus went, but I like the Colossians 2, 14 and 15, Jesus. I like it. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Come on, somebody. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's weird because I thought Jesus got nailed to the cross. I mean, he did, but apparently 
While everybody else was busy nailing him to the cross, he was also busy nailing some stuff to the cross. Which is kind of crazy. I guess what that tells me is that no matter what you see going on, there's always more to the story. There's more to your story. Jesus is always doing more than it looks. He, he's, see, that's what makes Jesus a problem. Because every time you got problems, he's doing something about that problem. That was for Jordan, apparently. This, he set aside nailing it to the cross. I like this one, too. Like, this is, we, it, you know, like, I'm holding the little cuddly lamb Jesus talking to the little kids around the campfire. That's not this one. That's not Colossians 2.15, Jesus. This is like, he was doing that, and then he looked at, like, probably a little, like, I don't know, 10-year-old girl, probably. And was like, here, hold my lamb for a second. I got to go do something real quick. And he steps aside, and he goes, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. And I'm like, I like that. And he said, no, 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 there's more to the story. And he put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing, I can't say that word, triumphing. (laughs) That's not what it says, it's triumphing. Okay, you can laugh at my mistakes, it's okay. Put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Come on, Jesus, I'll follow that Jesus. I need that Jesus. My Jesus is a problem. Hallelujah. Okay, so what I actually want to preach to you about this morning. Verse 8, one more time. See to it, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it that no one, okay, sounds to me like we're talking about a person, right? See to it, see to it that no one takes you captive. Sounds like I need to get ready to fight somebody. Because there's a person that's about to come try to take me captive. So that's what I'm gearing up for. First time of verse 8 here. See to it that no one takes you captive. All right, let's roll. You're going to take me captive? Let's go. But then he starts using some language that doesn't have anything to do with a human. Takes you captive by, not strong hands and all that kind of stuff, but no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world, not, not according to Christ. Okay, this is important, church, because you're in a fight right now. You are in a fight right now. But you will lose the fight if you don't fight the right thing, even though it's a fight you should win. Because we got to understand as we go into verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. It's like, oh, shoot, I'm scared. I got a problem. But no, no, no. Remember verses 15. The thing you're fighting against has already been disarmed and openly shamed and triumphed over in him. So yes, there's a fight, but it's not fair. See, like the fight, it's a fight, but you're a problem. So you are in a fight in your own life. We are in a fight as the church, as the people of God. But the fight, just like verse 8 starts with, it sounds like it's talking about a person. Most of the time my fight feels like it's, it's against a person. But verse 8 continues to show me my fight is not against a person. As the Bible says in another place, my fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual fight right now. And that might sound weird to you, but it's right there in the Bible. So we're going there. We are in a spiritual fight right now, not a fight with humans. Even though everybody's telling you to fight against a human right now, let's stay focused. We got a spiritual battle that we're fighting right now. It's a fight that we're fighting against an enemy that has been disarmed. But if we're trying to fight a different enemy, then we're not fighting the enemy that's already beaten. All right. The fight, the fight, it's a fight to so walk in Jesus. 
in the same way that you received him. Isn't it a fight? It's a fight to not take back control of everything. I came to Jesus because I couldn't fix myself. But it's a fight to keep trying not to just fix myself. I came to Jesus because I couldn't hope in anybody else. But it's a fight to not just start hoping in somebody else. It's a fight. It's a fight. The fight to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. The fight to be rooted, built up, established, abounding. It's a fight. But it's a spiritual fight. It's not against people who are trying to steal your peace or whatever. (laughs) It's a spiritual fight that we are in. A few weeks ago, uh, if, if you were here, we talked a little bit about this. We kind of cracked open the can on spiritual warfare. So we talked about mammon. Is anybody here for that? We, we mentioned mammon. A few of us were here. Um, t- talked about mammon and, and, and how the Bible talks about the spirit of mammon. And we relate that to money, but money isn't the problem. The fight's not against money. The fight is against mammon, which is the spirit behind money. You know, we said, like, if money was just money, how does it talk so loud? There's clearly something else going on here. And so the spirit of mammon is, is that, that voice that's making you, pro- it's, it's, it's the promises money makes you that only God can keep. That's what I mean when I talk about the spirit of mammon. And the Bible talks about us fighting the spirit of mammon. And so that's a spiritual war against uh, being controlled by money. It's not about the money. It's, it's not ever about the money. It's about the mammon. It's about the promises that the money's making you that you're buying that only God can cash. So just in the same way that that's a, that's a spiritual fight, there is a spiritual fight we're in right now against a political spirit. There's a, a political spirit right now. And I need to be very clear that uh, politics is not the fight. Politics is not the problem. And politicians, hello, are not the fight. Politicians are not the, the thing we're fighting against. There's a political spirit right now. Now, obviously, we're, we're thick in a, a political situation, but the spirit that I'm talking about, just like mammon makes promises only God can keep, there's a political spirit making you promises that only God can keep. Money says, or mammon says it'll do it through money. The political spirit says, I'm just going to do it through politics. I'm going to fulfill all these promises to you, but really, they're only promises that God can make and God can keep in you. And it's these spirits, it's this political spirit that I want to talk about this morning because the Bible says, see to it. That nothing takes you captive. And there is, that is the agenda of the political spirit right now, church, trying to take you captive so that you do not walk in Christ the way that you received him, rooted, built up, established, and abounding, but that instead you are captive. This political spirit is trying to take you captive. So, again, i got to say it. Politics and politicians are not the problem. I know you disagree with me on that probably in some things, but politics and politicians are not the problem. What I mean by that is part of being human is figuring out how to be human together. This is what we do is like not live alone. And so figuring that out, that's basically what politics is. And so it's actually a, a noble endeavor for humans to try to figure out how we live well together. That's not the problem. Politics isn't the problem. And people who try to move communities towards that end, who we might call politicians, those are not the problem. It's the spirit behind it all that tries to capture us and take us captive. The political spirit is the problem, not the politicians. So Mammon says, the the voice of Mammon sounds a lot like, you know, um, get more of me and I'll I'll make all your problems go away. Right? That, that's that's the, the voice of mammon. It's talking about money. If you just get more of me, I'll take away all your problems. The political spirit says, vote for me and I'll take away all your problems. 
That's what the Spirit is promising you, but it can't cash that check. See, politics, people say politics is dividing us right now. And people say politics is dividing the church. It's dividing families. It's, divide, it's dividing. Politics is dividing us. But politics does not actually divide us. Part of, actually, part of politics is disagreeing really well. It's called marriage. <laughs> like, we do these things all the time. We live in community in the midst of disagreement. That's kind of what we do as humans. That disagreeing isn't the problem. Politics isn't the problem. If, if it was, having a friend would be a problem. Like knowing another human being, that would be the problem. But that is not the problem. Politics are not what is dividing us right now. It is the political spirit that is dividing us right now. Taking us captive and putting us into opposing camps so that we fight each other. Here's what I mean. The political spirit is telling me, vote for me. And I'll take all of your problems away. So that means if I'm getting captive, if I'm becoming captive by the political spirit, then that means I'm voting for somebody because they'll take all my problems away. And if you vote for somebody else, you're by definition trying to cause me problems. And if you're causing me problems, you're a problem. And that's a problem because I'm supposed to give my life to love you, not spend my life fighting you. It's the spirit behind it all that's trying to divide everybody. It's trying to take you captive, church. And God's saying to you this morning, you see to it. No one takes you captive. No one takes you captive. You see to it. You see to it. Jesus is like, I nailed it to the cross. I disarmed the power and authority. Now you just see to it. That a weaponless, armorless, defeated spirit doesn't take you captive. That was a great word, Pastor Andrew. (laughs) Politics doesn't divide us, church. Don't be scared. It's the political spirit. And don't be scared of that either. See, the political spirit takes you captive. The way it takes you captive, the way the political spirit takes you captive is by convincing you that it has something for you that you need from it. The political spirit, I'm just going to say because we'll write it down so I'm not like getting at you. The political spirit takes you captive by convincing you that it has something for you that you need from it. The political spirit takes you captive By convincing you that it has something for you that you need from it. But that's where the church becomes a problem. (laughs) Because the political spirit that's trying to come in and divide us by convincing us that it has something for us that we need from it is... See, we already have a few things. Don't we, church? We've already got a few things. And see, this is why I'm encouraged right now. is Because I think the political spirit is trying to pick a fight with a church that it doesn't understand. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about the people of God. I think that this political spirit has won so many battles that it forgot that now it's trying to pick the fight with the one group of people that knows it's been nailed to a cross, disarmed, defeated, and triumphed over. See, I'm encouraged because I think this political spirit is picking a fight and trying to cause problems with actually its biggest problem. And that's the church, the people of God. So I, I don't know how it goes down, but I know for sure it goes down when, each, when you and me, individually in our lives, and then do it together, make a decision each day to say, you know what, actually, 
No. Because the Spirit is trying to take you captive. The only way it can is if you don't see to it that it doesn't. You have all the power and all the fight in this, in this battle against the Spirit. So I want to remind you of some things that you have that uh, are a problem from political spirit that's trying to convince you that you need to be captive to it because it has some things that you need from it. The political spirit right now is telling you, vote for me, and I will take all your problems away. That's what you need from me. You need that from me. You need me to come make all your problems go away. You know what? Follow me, and I'll make all your problems go away. The only problem with that is that I don't need a hero because I have a king. And just to connect the dot real quick, so do you. That's, that's the problem. That's the problem that I pose for the political spirit, you and me. That's the problem that we pose. I don't need a hero. I have a king. See, I'm not coming into this election looking for someone to follow. I'm going to start using we language. We aren't coming into this election looking for somebody to follow. So when I cast my vote for you, I am not declaring my allegiance to you. I got a king for that. I got a king for that already. So if you're trying to control me with your promises of what you'll do for me, if I'll follow you, you have a problem. If that's the way you're trying to get control of me in my life, good luck. I don't need that from you. I've got a king. Number two, you'll hear stuff like this. Trust in me, and I'm going to give you a perfect future. <laughs> oh, man. Trust in me, and I'll give you a perfect future. That's like being actually spouted at us every day. <laughs> oh, man. I just... I probably shouldn't do this, but just like zoom out for a second. I'm like, how do we let people say, how do we believe some of this stuff? <laughs> like, you're going to give me a future? How does that work? Okay, back in. <laughs> Trust in me and I'll give you a future. See, the way that we're a problem for that one is that we can look at anybody who's saying, you know, trust in me and I'll give you a future. And we can just freely say, like, hey, that's awesome. Uh, but the only problem for you is that uh, my God already knows the plans he has for me. There are plans to prosper, not to fail, and plans for a hope and not for a future, so I'm good. If you're going to try to come into my life and dangle the carrot out in front of me, trust in me, and I'll give you a future. It's like, I don't need one. I got one. I'm good. <laughs> I'm all right. Thank you. No. No, you can't have me for that because I have one, a good one already. I don't need your plans. I have a hope laid up for me. I have a hope laid up for me. I am a problem. Church, you are a problem. You are a problem because you have a hope that for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and that you've been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. And in him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And, and, 
You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us, all, all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So if anybody tries to come and control you by telling you, if you just trust in me, I'll give you all the future you could ever want. It's like, I'm good, bro. I got one. I'm good. I've got a hope. Follow me, and I'll give you a purpose to live for. I'll give you something to fight for. I'll give you a message to trumpet. I'll give you an agenda to fight for. I'll give you a name to put on a flag and wave. Follow me, and I will give you a purpose to live for. I got one of those. I'm already on assignment. I don't need you to come give me purpose. If that's how you're going to try to come and control me, you have a problem. You have a problem. And that problem is like me and my assignment. Us. See, I've noticed in my life, I don't know if you've noticed about this about you, but it's easier for me to get tempted when I'm bored. You notice that in your life? Like most bad decisions came after you twiddled your thumbs for a second. <laughs> right? It is definitely harder than, therefore, for me to get distracted when I'm on assignment. And I wonder if we just need to get a little bit more focused and busy on our current assignment. If sometimes we're getting captured by stuff because we just got a little bit too bored. We forgot that we've already got an assignment. I don't need somebody to come and give me one. I don't need somebody to come give me something to live for because I've got that. See, I appreciate the fact that people would like to come along and give me something to live for. Like that's awfully kind that you would assume that I don't have anything to live for, but you think your thing is great and you want to come and give it to me to live for, but I actually do have something to live for already. I'm good. I appreciate the effort. I know you're trying to be kind, but I'm all right. I've got an assignment, church. I have got an assignment. See, my plate is already fairly full living for this agenda. I'm sorry, I don't have the space to give my life for yours. I, 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 I just, I was looking at my life and what I'm preoccupying myself with and what I've got scheduled and some things that I'm working on and the things that I'm hoping for and where I want to end up. And I just noticed that this whole assignment of making sure that everyone is presented mature in Christ, I'm full. I would love to give my life for your agenda, but I'm sorry. I'm occupied. So no, you can't control me with that because I'm already on assignment. And that's a problem. See, church, the church is a problem. The church is a problem. When the church is walking in Jesus, when the church is walking in Christ Jesus, the Lord, as we received him, rooted, being built up, established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving, Seeing to it that nobody takes it captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition or elemental spirits of the world that are not Christ. When the church is doing that, you can put the church anywhere in the world. You can fight the church with anything in the world. And you can change everything about the world. But you cannot make it go away. Last week we spent some time talking about the first 300 years of our history as a church, as the, the people of God. 
I don't know about you, but I was radically encouraged and inspired. And so I just thought, let's, let's stay with that for a little bit. We're going to skip a whole lot of time here, but we're going to just look, glance, take a glance at the last 300 years of what's been happening in the church. This problem called the church. See, if you go back about 300 years, let's call it the year 1727. I know it's not exactly 300, but it's very close, especially considering the scope of 300. We're only seven off. Josh, what's the math on that? What's the percentage? <laughs> Close. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 1727, there's a group of Christians uh, from a place called Moravia at the time, and they're refugees, and they flee to an area of Germany called Saxony. There's not very many of them, but they flee, and they find themselves allowed to settle on the estate of a really rich guy named Count Zinzendorf, which I appreciate because my last name is Zanako. So I understand. So these Moravians, they, uh, they, they settle in this land in Saxony, and uh, they're trying to build a community together. They're all Christians, but they're all kind of from different denominations, and as we know, we can disagree about things sometimes. And that was causing problems. There was all these divisions. See, that's what happens when the political spirit takes the church captive, is all of a sudden we start fighting about all the things we disagree about until we just start fighting for all the things we agree about. So instead of... Agreeing, they were disagreeing for a while, and then they realized, you know what, this is not going well. Instead of fighting about all the things we disagree about, let's talk about what we do agree about. So they set up a meeting, and they kind of come up with this draft of here's all the things we can agree about. And once they started agreeing, they realized they really loved each other, <laughs> and they were like, let's pray and worship. Have you ever noticed that when you get around Christians and you're not worried about all the things you disagree about? How much you're like, you know what, let's worship and pray and move heaven and see the earth change. So they, that's what happened to them, too. So they have this meeting, and they start praying, and they pray. They just end up praying and worshiping all night. And as a result of it, already, like, things start changing in the people. And they're like, we got to do this more often. So they start three services every day, every day of the week. And the whole town would come to these three services for worship and for prayer and for the word of God. And they started standing up and repenting to different groups of people and praying together and unity started to happen in this group and so this is happening for a few months until a few months later I think it was in August of that year they are praying and all of a sudden they're praying and the prayer meeting just doesn't stop for a hundred years 24-7 prayer for a hundred years the group of people themselves never got bigger than a total of 300 so a group of 300 people for a hundred years kept a prayer meeting going Okay, so that's cool. But out of that, God moved them so much because they were so unified in the presence of God that what is anything happening, like missionary-wise, taking the gospel around the earth, finds its roots back to these people. It was said that this group of 300 people in this 100 years, these 300 people did more for global missions in that 100 years than the entire rest of the church had done in the previous 200 years because they got together and they prayed. So that starts in 1727. In 1735, uh, the, there's colonies popping up in this place called the New World. Maybe you've heard of it, been there before. That's here. 
So these Moravians, they are on their fifth journey because, of course, they have to be one of the first ones to go to this new place and find out if there's humans there they can preach the gospel to because that's what you do when you pray for 100 years. You get consumed with the gospel. <laughs> so they're on their fifth trip there, but they run into this guy. So well, on, on the boat ride over, there's lots of storms and, like, the mast breaks and the, the sail rips and everybody's freaking out on the boat except for them. They just keep worshiping and praying like nothing's happening. And so it's crazy. But there was this guy on the boat who was watching them who was like, I cannot believe leave these people and his name was John Wesley so John Wesley was coming over too he thought he was a Christian but he would later say I don't think I was ever truly converted until I ran into the Moravians he was taken back by their unity in the presence of God and their deep communion with God so he started learning from them and learning to pray learning how to encounter Jesus and so him and these other two guys who started doing a lot in the colonies and would spark what was known as the first great awakening John Wesley, George Whitfield, and Jonathan Edwards were all impacted by this group of Germans, or well, refugees that had landed in Germany who just decided to pray. So George Whitfield, his style was like going outside and gathering groups of tens of thousands of people to preach in the open air, powerful stuff. Jonathan Edwards, his style was more to go into the church and teach and preach and try to establish the local church and theology. John Wesley, his vibe was way more about everything outside of town. You know, he was like, listen, this place is spreading. People are going. People are traveling. We have to travel with them. We have to go with them. And he would establish these people called circuit riders. See, Methodist preachers in the beginning, they didn't have churches. They had horses because that was the life that they lived. I actually read this, and I got convicted. He, John Wesley said, if a, if a preacher doesn't study five hours a day, he needs to go back to whatever he used to do. I was like, oh, dang, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what John Wesley did. He started the Methodist movement that moved west with people, and he was committed to having the gospel be a part of anywhere that people would go, including into all the tribes. So that's incredible. These Moravians, they, 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 they launched the first great awakening in this place that we now know as the United States. One of the circuit riders that would help launch the second great awakening a couple decades later was a man named Francis Asbury. He was born in England, got saved in the Methodist movement, kind of grew up the ranks, went over to the United States and had a heart so burdened for America that he came before the Revolutionary War. He stayed during the Revolutionary War, and it was said at one point he was the only Methodist pastor who stayed after the Revolutionary War for a season of time. He would become basically the, the bishop of what was happening over here, so him and John Wesley became contemporaries at the time. And Francis Asbury was crazy. He rode, it was estimated at the end of his life that he had ridden 250,000 miles on a horse in total. So clearly there's not many people in this room who have tried riding one mile on a horse. That's a lot. So to give you a taste of it, by the end of it, before he decided that he would just get pulled around in a carriage, he would have the people he would preach to when he had to get up back on his horse, he would have them lift him up and tie him to the saddle because his body couldn't take it anymore. But he wouldn't stop. So you maybe never heard of Francis Asbury before, um, but he has this statue in Washington, D.C. on 16th Street, him on horseback. It's pointed towards the White House. And the National Historical Publications Commission of the U.S. government, which I don't know what that is, but it sounds important. The National Historical Publications Commission of the United States government long ago made a list of 66 uh, uh, 66 men essential to understanding the development of the American nation and its place in world history. And Francis Asbury is one of those 66. 
listed along people like maybe you have heard of before, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Abraham Lincoln. So not only was he doing all of this, but he actually met with George Washington, the first president of the United States, to fight for the abolition of slavery and ask the question, why is this still around? And not only would he meet with Washington about it, but he was dedicated to that ministry while he was preaching as well. And it was known that he would stop on his journeys and he would pull off to the side of the road if there were slaves working in a field or slaves walking down the street and he would minister to them. He ministered to one guy one time and he asked him what his name was. He didn't even know what his name was. He just said, I fight a lot, so they call me Punch. And he ministered to him and prayed for him for a few minutes on the side of the road. 25 years later, Asbury came back around that area of town and found out that that man had gone on to start a church and preach the gospel and make disciples because of that one encounter with Francis Asbury. Not only would Francis Asbury do that, but he pulled up a guy that would travel with him named Harry Hoosier. He would become his carriage driver. He was a young African-American man who couldn't read at the time, but Francis Asbury found out he could memorize stuff really well. So while Hoosier, while Harry was driving the carriage, Francis Asbury would read the Bible out loud and Harry would memorize what he was hearing so that he could become a preacher too. He began just preaching to black communities and slave communities, but he quickly got a reputation for being even a better preacher than Francis Asbury was. And so Francis Asbury decided it was time to make a way for that. And so Harry Hoosier was the first black minister to ever preach to a white congregation in our nation. And that was in the year 1784, 80 years before the Civil War. So if you're a Hoosier in the room and you wonder where your name comes from, it originated as a derogatory term to basically, basically it's like low-life hillbillies is what it meant. But God decided to hijack it so that you know that you in this state would be marked by the name of an illiterate, black man from slavery era United States that God anointed to preach the gospel and bring a revival to this nation. So that's who you are. That's who you are. Francis Asbury would make a way for a man named Charles Finney, known as the father of the modern the father of modern revivalism. Charles Finney was crazy. He did the big gatherings too. Lots of people did that. But some of the things that he pioneered was instead of just going somewhere and doing gatherings, he would send prayer teams weeks ahead of time. So if you've ever been to a prayer meeting before a meeting, that's because Charles Finney decided that was going to be a good idea. He also pioneered things like altar calls. Like instead of just preaching, starting to say like, now make a decision. You can leave here giving your life to Jesus. He also pioneered praying for the sick in large gatherings. He also was holding the first integrated meetings. 30 years before the Civil War. This actually made so many people mad that his friends, he had some friends who were rich who decided they want to build him a church, and he was having integrated meetings there. People didn't like it, so they burned the church down, so his friends built the church bigger. Charles Finney would later inspire a man named Dwight L. Moody, a man who never had more than a fourth grade education, who was around during the Civil War, before, during, and after the Civil War. He would become a chaplain for the Union Army, but he was so burdened for the gospel and for just for humans that he was one of the few people that would not only minister to Union soldiers, but also Confederate soldiers as they died. He would also go on to, even though he had a fourth grade education, start seminaries and schools and all kinds of amazing things. But he also pioneered something that people had never really thought of or seen much of before, children's services. So Antioch Kids, inspired by Dwight Moody. 35 years after D.L. Moody died, in Charlotte, North Carolina, 
There's a 15-year-old boy who went to a tent meeting with his friends. They weren't going to hear the gospel. They were going to protest the guy who was preaching because they didn't like it. He had written an article in the paper about how this group of friends was causing trouble, so they said, well, let's go cause some trouble. They went to uh, this tent meeting, but, the, but one, of the, one of the boys, he wrote, or he said later, he, he went there to cause problems, but when he got there, he was so awestruck with what was happening that he couldn't do what he came to do. And he would write later, he said, I was hearing another voice, as was often said of D.L. Moody, it was the voice of the Holy Spirit. The man who, the, the revivalist who was leading the meeting, you probably never heard of, Dr. Mordecai Ham, but the boy was Billy Graham. Go on to become America's pastor. Become a pioneer in the civil rights movement. Become a global voice around the earth for the salvation for all of humanity. Just a little bite size of what's been going on in the last 300 years. And here, in our city, in this church, in this room, in this group of people, just in the last few weeks, a few weeks ago, on the other side of that wall, while we all were in here, there was a God encounter service going on for our elementary school students. They were worshiping. Many of them praying and crying in the presence of God, praying and prophesying over each other. Several of them decided they wanted to give their lives to Jesus that day. A few weeks ago, a life group heard about somebody in their life group who was going to have a hard time paying rent that month. So they went behind her back and took up an offering and helped pay her rent. Just a few weeks ago, we've talked about Brad Huff, who's leading the prophetic um, equipping during Kingdom Conference. He takes a, a group of people around the city to meet with businesses and business leaders to pray for them and, and give them the word of the Lord and encourage them and inspire them. And so he does that every single week. A few weeks ago, they went to a place, they prayed, they prophesied the next day, the business owner called him and said, dude, revival is happening. Today, four of my employees came to my office asking to be baptized. They're gonna all start coming to church with me. They've started doing Bible studies around the office and a revival has hit this guy's workplace. Just a few weeks ago, somebody in our church was at a restaurant in town. And as he was walking out, a waitress who hadn't even served their table or had any conversation with him or who he was having lunch with, runs up, stops him at the door and barely through tears, like coughs out, before you leave, I need you to know God used you today. And she ran off to go to the bathroom to compose herself. They never even had a conversation. Over the last few weeks, marriage encounters have been happening in this room, which has been amazing. On top of what God's doing to people in our church, about 30 or 40% of the people coming don't even come to our church, and some of them don't even walk with God. <laughs> Actually, I was at a wedding last night of a couple who had been, who started coming to the marriage encounter. They don't go to our church. They're kind of just starting to learn how to walk with God, and they heard about it, so they came, and I was listening to the vows that they wrote for each other. After being at Marriage Encounter, they scrapped the vows and rewrote them with language specifically that they had learned at Marriage Encounter, Marriage Encounter about how to build a marriage and that changed radically what they were vowing to each other at the altar. Just a few weeks ago, somebody in her, was in her life group and shared with her life group that her brother-in-law seemed to be struggling with alcohol and the family was really getting nervous for him. So she asked the life group to pray, so they prayed. And two or three weeks later, the family was with this brother-in-law and found out that he had given up alcohol altogether. The church is a problem. And I, I don't know if you noticed this, but none of what I just said happened because of the outcome of a U.S. presidential election. And every bit of it did happen because 
Christians, the church, saw to it that no one took them captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Because the church saw to it that as we received Christ, so we will walk in Him. This is how we're going to walk in Him, the same way we came to Him, needing Him, desperate for Him, surrendering to Him, trusting in Him, following Him, committed to Him, hearing Him, responding to Him. That's how we are going to walk with Christ Jesus the Lord. And when we do, we're going to stay rooted. We're going to be built up. We're going to be established in this faith. And we will abound in thanksgiving. And no matter what comes, we're going to be a problem. You can put us anywhere in the world. You can fight us with anything in the world. You can change everything about the world. But you have a problem. (laughs) You can't make us go away. This is who we are, church. And this is my charge to you in this day, in this time. What does God want from you? See to it that you don't get taken captive. Because everything fighting against you has been disarmed, nailed to a cross, triumphed over, and openly shamed. Now just see to it that you walk in Him. Would you stand as we close? We're already several minutes over, and I don't feel bad about it because these are times where we need the presence of Jesus. If the Moravians can pray for 100 years, I can stay at church 20 minutes late. We're going to have our prayer team coming up to the front. And I just believe the burden of my heart for this morning that God has for us is do whatever it takes for you to leave here more confident and free than the way you showed up. Leave here with a smile on your face, church, knowing that you are walking in the victory of Jesus. Leave here this morning, church, knowing I got one thing to do this week. Walk in Jesus. Walk in Jesus, and that's fine. So I'm going to pray for us. And if you need prayer, come and get prayer. But I also just strongly sense that that you might might need to repent and just turn away from something this morning. You might realize, you know, I've I've let something get get, get in control of me. I've let something get control of my mind, my heart, my hope, my anxiety, my busyness. I've let something get control of me. Just, Just like repent because it's been beaten and that's the beauty of repentance church you can walk out of here free and so we do this periodically but just the front's open if that's you you feel like you're like I just need to come forward and physically respond to this maybe you just do that in your chair but just tell somebody walk it out and just I know when I say something out loud it loses more power on me and so I encourage you to do that as we pray Lord come and move in us Holy Spirit shake us shake us anything that's held us captive in this time Lord we do repent we pray that every single person would walk out of here more free to walk in you in Jesus name the reign of darkness now is ending in the kingdom of light in the kingdom of light forever You're the king of my life, you're the king of my life, and you reign above it all, you reign above it all, over the 
As we close, we want to make a moment like we always do. If you're here this morning and you've heard all of this and been a part of this and you're thinking, I don't even know that I've received Christ Jesus the Lord, right now you can make that decision. Like the rest of us in the room have and as we've been talking like people have for so many years, realizing that God made me for a relationship with Him, but every single one of us has sinned. 
that has separated us from him. And it is only in the life and the death and the resurrection of this man, Jesus, that we can have a restored relationship with God. Be born again and be filled with the Holy Spirit to be on assignment so that no one can take us captive, but that we can live free. If you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision, I just wanted you to know right now the invitation is wide open. And so we're going to pray a prayer that you can pray after me. We're all going to bow our heads together as we wrap up our time. And if that's you, I just encourage you to pray this kind of in your heart with me. Jesus, I give you my life today. I need to receive you. I give you my sin and my brokenness, and I receive new life through your grace. I choose to believe you right here, right now. Lord, I need to be born again. And I'm asking that you'd fill me with the Spirit of God so that I can become a participant with you in bringing your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that prayer for all of us. Lord, we give ourselves to you again. We receive you again. We're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, every person, and fill us collectively so that every friend group, every neighborhood, every workplace, every interaction coming this week would encounter you as we walk free. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you for what you've done and what you've begun. Teach us to walk it out this week. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said amen. So thankful that you were here at church this morning. I love you so much. If you are new with us recently or if you just decided that you need to give your life to Jesus, please come see us at the Connect area. If you leave through that door over there, you'll end up exactly where you need to be. We would love to connect with you. We've got resources for you to help you walk with Jesus. We've got some gifts for you, so go check that out if you have any questions about church at all. we got Kingdom Conference coming up. It's going to be a crazy fun week. We'd love to have you be a part of anything you're able. We love you so much. Have an incredible week. In the grace of God, love you.